0: I'm going to stop recording now. Yes. Oh, wow. That was one hour. Oh, wow. I know. We (laughs) did well.
1: Hello, it's Mark Stedman, uh, your old your old pal. Hi. Uh, and this is List Envy, the podcast in which I work with a special guest to uh, build a top five list on a topic that they choose. You might notice that I do a very slight variation on that phrase every week. You know, I've got to keep myself uh, amused. Um, speaking of amusement, this episode is fascinating. Uh, it really, really is. Um, Alberto Cairo, my guest, is a, a wonderful speaker and... Um, a, a, a really i mean he literally wrote the use uh, he literally wrote the book on misuse of uh data uh, uh graphical data graphs and charts and that kind of stuff and um he's he's a, a really energetic and and um exciting uh, speaker to talk to because obviously he knows this topic he teaches uh, this topic uh in Miami um and he's just he was really engaging and it was a really really fun and interesting discussion I learned a lot um which is not surprising uh and uh and I think you will too um but yeah honestly like I I really think you'll enjoy this one uh, and get a lot out of it as, as dry a topic as it might sound um it's a really fun chat so uh I got started by uh asking Alberto um how he got started
0: well, i am a am a journalist by training, so I, I have a degree in journalism and I'm also I'm also a graphic designer. I worked in news media for many years before becoming a professor. Um, but like a decade ago, something like that, I started getting interested um, in in data visualization. In the individual display of numbers, quantities through graphs and maps and charts, etc. So I started getting, you know, getting into it, studying about it, and then writing about it at some point. And basically, I started being, you know, in, in, engaging with the data science, statistics, data journalism communities. Uh, that happened. Five six years ago, or something like that. Fantastic. Have you ever dealt with um, the, the sort of technical side
1: of, of um, working with particular data sets?
0: No, not not the technical side of things. My only uh, my only specialisation or expertise is in the in the visualisation of data.
1: So I, I, I suspect we're going to be talking um, a fair bit about politics. Mm-hmm um uh, and and political data in this uh, and obviously that that pertains to your book as well have you tracked much of what's happened in the UK
0: recently um well i i follow the news of yeah. the, the election and um i mean not not very closely but yes i i am aware i'm aware of what what's going on over there yeah
1: yeah um i think we we haven't we haven't suffered from sort of there's there's been a lot of misinformation but i i think you know i i've got one example in my uh in my particular list here uh which which pertains um directly to the um uh, to the election but uh, yeah i think uh I, I guess a lot of the focus has has been on um uh in the US with um you know yeah yeah with um, trump
0: and but but not only i mean I, I think that it's a it's a universal phenomenon and yeah. um but yeah some countries are, are are doing far worse than others that's for sure What's the worst? <laughs> well, I think that at the moment is the United States. Um, yeah, at the moment, yes, because the, there has been a very clear um, misuse of graphics, and you know the, they have been basically weaponized, particularly by mm. the uh, by the right, by the Trumpist right in particular.
1: That was going to be my next question, because, yeah, I didn't want to necessarily um, drag you down a particular partisan line. But I, I was curious to know whether there was a, a sort of um, a blue or, or red divide. in Oh, terms yeah, of yeah,
0: absolutely. Is. And there's nothing partisan about it, um, about saying so. I mean, um, yeah, it's, it, it's very clear. Actually, one of the and we can talk about this during the uh, during the podcast. So it's like I, I got a little bit of pushback from. People who are sympathizers from uh, sympathizers of Trumps and saying, you know, oh, your book is not it's not fair and it's not balanced because you don't include fifty percent of fifty percent in terms of choosing the examples. It's not fifty percent from the left and fifty percent from the right. Mm. There's more like a seventy percent thirty percent balance or something like that. I say, you know, um, I actually think that think that I actually went too far uh, in, in in trying to balance out ideologically speaking. The examples in the book, because unfortunately, whether you like it or not, most of the worst examples of misuse of graphics nowadays—these may change in the future, obviously—but nowadays come from the Trumpian right, and there is no doubt about it. So, if I have, I have, if I had included or or used a 50-50 balance in terms of choosing examples, that, that would not represent reality. I, I would be lying to readers, and that that's that's something that obviously I don't want to do.
1: And this may be a, a, a silly or naive question, but i uh, and I'm sure I've got my own answers, but I'd, I'd much prefer to hear yours why Why do you think this is such a a more common practice within, within the right because it's the same in the uk. but why, why do you think
0: that is well it's it's not the right in general. I mean the right is very it's as diverse as the left, I guess, and it's a little bit unfair to talk about the right There's a specific a specific portion of the right, which is the the, right. the populist, okay. the populist right, the far right. Mm-hmm. Um, well, because, I mean, they, they completely disregard, they have a complete disregard for the for the truth. They don't care. So they actually, I think that they fit um, the definition of, the philosophical definition of bullshitting. Um, there is a wonderful book published years ago titled On Bullshit, which defines bullshit um, a, philosophically and, and, and rigorously. And bullshit is basically the complete disregard for the truth. So it's like making statements and not worrying whether, any of those, whether those statements carry any true value. Um, yes. You just make statements and, and basically wait to, to see how people react to them. And if they react well to them, then you continue making those statements. And that's exactly what Trump does. Trump doesn't care about whether his statements carry any sort of truth or not. He only cares about the effect. That those statements make or have in the in the public, right? So it's like that's obviously weaponizing information. Um, again, it's not it's not li- it's not even lying. It goes beyond lying because a liar yeah. a liar needs to know the truth in order to lie, right? <laughs> the bullshitter doesn't really care, and unfortunately, the the populist right at the moment it fits this definition of bullshit. Yeah, they they use bullshit all the time.
1: Ah, I'm. I, I. didn't think I'd be so happy to um, sit and and hear an um, an academic say bullshit so many times. It makes me very pleased. Well, um, yeah,
0: but there, but again, the 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 book is, was written by a, a philosopher called Harry Frankfurt. And and it's either on bullshit, and it's a it's a it's a tongue in cheek book, but it's a serious mm-hmm. it's a serious philo- philosophy book, <laughs> defining bullshit.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I mean, it. I, I I remember the the sort of the first definition from um from the Blues Brothers, uh, which you know is back back in the eighties, and I think it was um, you can't lie to a nun. I'm not lying. It's not lies. It's just bullshit. <laughs> bullshit uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And then there's the, the Penn and Teller series, uh, which I, I watched a few episodes of on, on Showtime, which was all about um, just taking things that I think, things that we assumed were truths and taken for granted and, and, and sort of exposing them and not always having the legal ground to be able to say these are flat-out lies,
0: but we can say they're bullshit. Yeah, they're bullshit, yeah. And, and sometimes bullshit may be true. I mean, it's like, again, mm-hmm. it doesn't, the bullshitter doesn't care about whether a statement makes sense or not. It may make sense. If it's true, it's accidentally true. It is accidentally true. And there is another piece to this puzzle, I think, or another component, which is that they are also completely amoral. Not even immoral. They are amoral. Mm -hmm. And this is related to bullshit. It's like they don't care about whether their actions have any sort of ethical, uh, say, foundation or something. They don't care. They only care about you know convincing people of, they are propagandists in that in, in, in some sense so they only care about bringing people to their uh, to their group uh, persuading people and basically push their agenda and and winning no matter what or no matter the consequences their only goal is to win and I am aware that many people will say well but everybody wants to win well that's true but you know most people Pay a little bit of attention of uh, to how to reach that goal without hurting other people or without damaging other people. And you know the populist right at the moment, particularly with the, that with the Trumpian edge, they don't care. They don't care what the consequences of their actions are, and therefore they are like it's, they are like a nihilistic force in some sense.
1: So with that in mind, um, we are building a list of. Graphics most often uh, misread. Why don't you kick us off with um, what your top
0: your top one, your top example? Well, my top example will be the the example that opens up the the book, right? Uh, a, a map displaying the results of the two thousand and sixteen presidential elections in the United States, um, with red representing the areas that were won by the Republican candidate Donald Trump, and blue representing the areas won. By the counties won by uh, the Democratic candidate Hillary Clinton, and this type of map that uses color to represent data, it's called a choropleth map. C h o r o p l e t h, a very long word, choropleth. And um, this map is used particularly by the Trumpian right to argue that Trump has huge popular support. Uh, mainly because the map looks like an ocean of red with a few mm. small islands of, of blue here and there. And they recently, they are usually, they are, they are recently using it to argue against impeachment. So they published that map online and they overlay the label impeach these, right? Yes. And, and yes. You saw that, right? Um, mm-hmm. and, and the problem with that is that, that that map, there's nothing wrong with the map itself. The map is fine. Um, it's only that the map is being misused. It's being used for a purpose that it was not designed for. The map, that map, is designed, was created to sh- to show who won where. That's the purpose of that map. The, the Republicans won here, Democrats won there. And the map works great for that. The challenge is that it is being used for with a completely different purpose in mind, which is to show popular support. And that map cannot be used to show popular support because what it's representing is not number of people who support one candidate or the other. It's a map that is representing territory. One of the features of the political landscape or the political demographic landscape in the United States is that Republican vote tends to be more spread out than Democratic vote. Democratic vote tends to concentrate in big cities. Therefore, Democratic regions tend to be much smaller in size, but much more densely populated, whereas um, Republican counties, they are more sparsely populated, but they are enormous in terms, of, in terms of size. Think about states such as North Dakota or South Dakota or Idaho. They are very sparsely populated, but they are enormous. Therefore, when you color them in red, they look like a, again like an ocean of red. They are enormous, right? So again, the map is not is not badly designed it's only that it's a map that is being misused. That will be at the top of my list
1: listening to you talk through it, and you you made the point that I was going to make really, which is that you you have this sort of issue of of uh, I was going to say proportional representation, but that's a that's a different sort of thing. But it, it you know, there is a proportion problem because um, everything is in proportion. But of course, exactly as you said, you've got some very very large states, um, and and they 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 dominate the map.
0: They dominate the map, and and something similar happens in many other countries. It happens in the UK, for example, right? It happens in happens with with Spain, my country of origin, where most people tend to live in in big cities, right? Madrid, Barcelona, Bilbao, and so on and so forth. And then the middle of the country, it's much more sparsely populated. Therefore, if you're not aware of this demographic reality, or if you are willing to dismiss this reality, it will be very likely that you will either misread or misuse these maps to tell a story that they don't really tell.
1: And that doesn't get, uh, even get us uh, in, into um, what projection of the map we're using, whether it's Mercado projection, projection or something else. Oh, might, yeah, um, absolutely. Well, that would be another,
0: <laughs> another completely different conversation, right? Yeah. De- depending, on the country, depending on the country that you are depicting, uh, different projections yeah. may depict the map, may depict the country correctly or not. And that's also true of the world in, in general.
1: So, my number one then, um I'm going for and I don't, I don't necessarily well, I don't have sort of um proper scientific uh names for these, but based on um my understanding, I'm starting with manipulating um usually bar charts by omitting uh, the baseline. Oh yeah yeah yeah.
0: <laughs> That's a very common very, one. Yeah. yeah.
1: Very 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 big one, very common one. So, uh this is this is taking the idea that you uh you want to for example demonstrate car's or or um show car safety between uh two models of car and you want to say this uh in very simplistic terms this is x, perc- uh, x percent safe this is y percent safe and you look at the two bars and they are vastly different in size you've got one that's very very tall and one that's very short um and then when you look at the uh the y axis uh what you see there is that the gap is representing maybe 2% um so they've cropped the Uh, they've taken the baseline up so they've cropped the graph from sort of 98 percent to 100 so if you zoom that back out and go from zero to 100 you actually see that the difference in safety is two percent um and that is a a fascinating uh look into a very very simple way that we can very quickly because we're visual creatures uh we you know we and, and we don't think about the um the, the axes we just see that thing's bigger than that thing therefore that is more important um and yeah it's a it's a a, a very um, extremely
0: trick extremely common yeah extremely common and actually that example connects to my second example the second example ah. on my list because my second example in, in my list it was is also yeah, manipulating uh, the axes of 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 graphs um to basically push an agenda and i would even say that I mean, the example that you put of the bar graph is obviously great, and I have many more in my personal collection of graphic, graphic horrors uh, that I have in mm. my computer. Um, I have examples, for, for instance, from uh, Fox News uh, in the United States showing the variation of the uh, uh, federal income tax. Uh, there was an increase after President Obama became president of like five percentage points or something like that. But they represented that change between, I think that it was between 35% and 40% with a, <laughs> with a bar graph that was whose y-axis was cropped. And the, the, the second bar basically looked like 10 times the size of the first one, uh, representing a, almost a tenfold, incre- tenfold increase in federal income taxes. And, uh, and I have another one from Venezuela, representing the uh, results of the, one of the latest presidential elections in Venezuela, um, it was, I think, uh, Nicolas Maduro, the current president against the opposition candidate. And the difference between the two candidates was like one percentage point. But if you took a look at the graphic, I mean, Maduro's bar was like, again, 10 times the size of the Enrique Capriles. I think that it was Enrique Capriles, the opposition candidate. Um, the, his bar was uh, super, super tiny, even if he got 49% of the vote versus 50% of the vote that uh, Maduro got. So this is a very common trick that propagandists like to use to manipulate graphics. Fortunately, though, uh, this sort of manipulation in bar graphs is very easy to spot. It's just a matter of paying attention to the graph, right? It is much harder to do um, with uh, examples that are a a little bit more subtle. So think about, for instance, and this is my second example, second example of my list, the manipulation of line charts. All right. So for example, in a line chart, you can crop either the y-axis or the x-axis. And one of the features of line charts, or at least one of the conventions in the design of line charts, is that a line chart, and I explained this in How Chats Vi, a line chart doesn't necessarily need to have a zero baseline. It all depends on the graph. It all depends on the data that you have, that you are That you are. Uh, represented. Sometimes it makes sense to have a zero baseline. Sometimes it doesn't make sense to have a zero baseline. Uh, but the cha- the challenge with with line charts is not only how the vertical axis can be manipulated, but also the horizontal axis, right? So I have one example, for instance, uh, from a few years ago, in which um, a climate a climate change denier published this uh, line chart showing. A variation of global temperatures in Fahrenheit degrees uh, from the 18th century, I think, up to the present. And he represented the data. Imagine a line chart that has a zero baseline in this case, and that goes all the way up to 100 percent degrees uh, Fahrenheit, right? That, that, that That's the vertical scale of that graphic. Well, if you show the data on that sort of a scale from 0 to 100 degrees Fahrenheit, the line is completely flat because the variation of temperatures, the average temperature of the world, ha- has only varied a few degrees Fahrenheit in the past like 100 or 200 years. And this guy was using this graphic to basically say, well, take a look at this global warming, climate change. All this stuff is all a hoax, right? It's like the temperatures have barely varied in the past 200 years or so. Uh, forgetting the fact, or better said, ignoring the fact that uh, 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 what, what seems to be a tiny variation in global temperatures, an increase of one or two degrees, in particular, Celsius degrees. Let, let's talk about Celsius degrees. So uh, an increase in two, one or two or even three Celsius degrees, in absolute terms, it sounds very little. It sounds very small. And it's very easy to represent them in a chart, in a line chart in which the line looks completely flat. But an increase of one or two degrees Celsius uh, 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 Celsius degrees in, in average temperatures, that's extremely significant. That's very worrying. A, a, a single degree a, high, a variation of temperatures can provoke from you know more natural catastrophes, you know wildfires in places like California, things like that. So a variation of one or two degrees Celsius can be extremely significant. Therefore, in order to represent that data more accurately, the baseline of the line chart cannot be zero. Uh, and, and and certainly you should not go up in that scale to one hundred degrees. You should go up to perhaps five degrees or something like that, in order to emphasize the change, in order to see the increase in the past one hundred or two hundred years.
1: I I think my my second uh, relates very very well to that actually, which is um, again uh, on the x-axis uh, with with line graphs is, um, and I think this might even have been a similar. Um, subject matter, um, but it's omitting item. I was really surprised that this was done because I just assumed that you didn't do this. Um, But omitting chunks of the x-axis so that you can... um, So I think the example that I saw was looking at the change in... uh, Let's say it was was global temperature. Um, You would go from, let's say, um, 200 years ago, and you would... In, in your x-axis, you would just bunch up uh, sort of a hundred years, um, so that that looked proportional to the rest of time. Uh, you know, so I'm not explaining it very well, but I think you you can understand what I mean. Do you mean you um, mean
0: cherry sh- picking specific portions of the chart in order to make a point? Right. It's like that
1: would you, be yeah yeah.
0: So, for instance, if you are showing, let's say, um, the unemployment rates, right? The unemployment rate in the United States. It has been decreasing in the past fifteen years. Or so. No, not fifteen years, but ten years or so, right? So if you take a look at the at the line from two thousand and eight up to and, uh, to the present, two thousand nineteen, the line goes down overall, right? It comes down from ten percent or eleven percent ten years ago down to three point five percent unemployment. In the United States in the present. So, in general, the trend is going down, right? However, if you crop the horizontal axis of that chart, it is very easy to choose a specific period in between, you know, the, inside these 10 years in order to argue that unemployment is actually getting worse. So, if I choose, for example, certain months or certain, you know, say portions of months in, in, in this chart, I can, I can show a line going up. Just because the the overall trend is going down, but there are certain months in which the unemployment uh, uh, the unemployment rate increased. So that cherry picking is also quite common in, in line charts.
1: Yeah, I think the, the, the specific thing that I was thinking of is um, so on an x axis, uh, either axis, you, you imagine that you're going to see regular intervals from, let's oh, say, one to 10. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. It's it's that specific thing of um, yeah. So you're going from not one to, and then we'll just do from from two to
0: seven. Yes, yes, I know. As one thing, I have an example. It's that specific thing. Yeah, yeah, I have an example in the book I think in which uh, the first portion of a line chart shows uh, intervals on the on the horizontal axis in years, but suddenly at some point the chart shows intervals in months. And, mm. and and therefore the, the line chart is completely distorted, right? Because the intervals in a line chart needs to be, they need to be equally spaced in order to represent the data correctly. If you don't space them equally, then the um, then the chart will look completely wrong. It will be completely wrong.
1: Uh, I have got a specific cherry picking example coming up but um why don't
0: we uh have your number 3 Oh yeah my number 3 all right so um I have we'll continue with the theme of distortion um it's not a specific example it's a type of charts in general charts that use um 3D effects three dimensional mm. effects like perspective effects right in in you know, with shadows and highlights and they, 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 they usually look very attractive, very beautiful, but it is very easy to manipulate them because depending on, on, on where you put the camera, so to speak, to see that chart mm-hmm. or depending on how much you tilt the chart or depending on how exaggerated the perspective uh, effect that you apply to that chart you may make certain portions of the chart much larger or much smaller than they are. Right? It's like if you apply a fish lens uh, to a chart and you emphasize, say, for example, in a bar graph, you know, the, the bars that are closer to you, uh, they, are, they are going to look much bigger than they really are. And the ones that are farther away from you, they will look much smaller than they really are. This kind of manipulation is also quite, quite common. And some peop- sometimes people do it not in purpose. Right? They do it unintentionally just because they think that graphics with a 3D effect, they look cool and very <laughs> attractive, and they certainly do. They look quite cool. But at the same time, they can be, they can be extremely misleading. The, the, the advice that I give in the book is that in general, when you are doing a graphic that is intended to be printed or intended to be shown on a screen, on a computer screen or on a mobile phone screen, all these surfaces are two-dimensional surfaces. Therefore, it's usually better not to apply, not to add a 3D effect to graphics because they are, they will likely be, you know, very hard to read, or 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 the information in them will be distorted.
1: So, my number five uh, follows on from that, I think, uh, and I I did I, I really did consider that one, um, but the the one that I had that sort of followed on from from that I think is using. Um, I've put sort of in my notes, I've put cute objects, but using sort of real world objects um, to represent lines on a bar graph. Uh-huh, um, uh-huh. And so, yeah, it's, so an in, uh, an example that I saw was to do with the popularity of um, – baseball versus basketball um, and they did it by using um, by trying to use the the correct proportions of the of the balls and so what ends up happening is you have this bizarre thing where yes a basketball is much larger um, but that wasn't actually the information that they were conveying Um, sony i think did a similar thing where they they manipulated the size of their of their consoles uh, or to the competitors consoles um in order to to you know um uh, to yeah, to manipulate that information, and I think that is that's an interesting one and and quite a sneaky one.
0: It is. Um. Well, but, but but I guess that it all depends on whether the proportions between those objects correctly represent or encode the the data. So I am not necessarily against using objects to represent data, mm-hmm. like physical objects, like I don't know the. Uh, and this was usually that this was a trend in graphics twenty or thirty years ago to draw your graphics on top of like illustrations of some kind. So mm. you saw, for example, number of cattle in the United States and in the the number of the uh, number of cows and stuff was represented um the line chart showing the variation of the number of cows uh, cattle in the United States was represented over the back of a cow. So you had a cow and then the 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 line was drawn. Was drawn over the back of the of the cow. Well, is that wrong? Well, it all depends on whether the line is accurately represented, right? So, what you need to first is what you, what you need to do first in any kind of graphic is to show the data, show the data as accurately as possible. So, if the back of that cow accurately represents the variation of the number of cows in the United States, then by all means, you can use the back of the cow to represent that data. But you, what you cannot do is to force the data to fit into the The shape of the back of that cow uh, it's the other way around the data comes first, the representation of the data comes first yeah
1: um yeah I think um if it it, it really does depend on the objects that you're comparing as well so you know if you were to compare uh let's say basketball and cricket and you decided instead of using a cricket ball you were going to use a cricket bat the basketball because it's round is going to look larger even yeah of
0: course you know because you're (laughs) you're varying area right you're varying area and therefore the area looks much more massive than the mm-hmm. than the size of the yeah of the band yeah that's a problem that's it uh, what's uh, what's your number four number four yes okay so again a, a broad category of graphics but I can use a specific example to uh, to talk about it so a while ago the New England uh, Journal of Medicine they published a little opinion article arguing that there might be a connection between Intelligence in a population and um, chocolate consumption, and <laughs> yeah, and and it was like a this tongue-in-cheek article. It was a playful article. It was not extremely serious, right? But many people in the media took it very, very seriously because, in part, I think the article contained a, a graph. What is called a scatter plot. A, a scatter plot is a graphic that represents data using little dots. It has a horizontal axis and a vertical axis. And what the scatter plot tries usually tries to represent is the correlation or the association between two variables. Well, the chart that, just for 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 your listeners to envision how this chart looked like, imagine a bunch of dots, each one of them representing a country. Then the position of those dots on the horizontal axis was proportional to the uh, chocolate consumption per capita in those countries. So. If a country is to the left on the scale, at the bottom of the scale, that means that people, the average person in these countries doesn't consume a lot of chocolate. But if it is to the right, if the dot is to the right, that means that that particular country on average consumes much more chocolate, right? The farther to the right you are, a a dot is, a country is, the Mm -hmm. more chocolate the average person in that country consumes. And then the vertical axis, the position on the vertical axis of these dots was proportional to the number of Nobel Prizes per 10 million people in these countries, right? The number of Nobel Prizes. And the fact was that if you took a look at the chart, the further to the right a dot was, the higher up it was on the vertical axis. That means that there is a positive association. There was a correlation between a positive correlation between chocolate consumption per capita and nobel prizes per capita right the farther to the right you are the higher up you are and the the correlation was very clear the challenge is that those charts can be this type of chart can be easily misinterpreted as representing causation and only that uh, the only thing that they represent is that there is an association between two, those two numbers for some reason right in general yes. the more chocolate a country consumes the more nobel prizes it has but that doesn't mean that consuming more chocolate will make you smarter or will help you win the Nobel Prize. Why is this not the case? Well, because in a chart like this, we, need, we always need to remember that there may be many other factors that may contribute to more chocolate consumption and also to more Nobel Prizes per capita. For example, wealth. The wealthier a country is, the more chocolate uh, the citizens of this country can consume, can buy because they have more money. And at the same time, richer countries also have more money to invest in their educational systems. Richer countries tend to have uh, a better educational systems. And, uh, and they can support students. And they can pay. They can help the students go to college, and so on and so forth. Therefore, you know, a few of these students may become so smart and so talented, and they may have so many opportunities to enter a academic fields and you know, scientific fields, that they may win the Nobel Prize. Right? So the problem with the scatter plots is that they show only what they show. And this is a mantra that I like to repeat in, in my latest book. In order to read a chart correctly, you need to remind yourself that a chart shows only what it shows and nothing else. This particular chart is only showing you that there is a positive association or correlation, if you like that word, between chocolate consumption and Nobel Prize winners. But that doesn't mean that there is a a causal connection between those two variables, right? That happens in your brain. That is not in the chart. It is you projecting onto the chart something that you want to see somehow. And this is a danger. It's It's a danger that we are all exposed to, to read, too much into the charts maps graphs infographics that we see every day in the media because we are all we it's very easy for all of us to fall victim to the confirmation bias to confirm what we already want to see and recruit uh, these charts that we see every day in the media to confirm these beliefs that we have
1: i'm enjoying this episode because i um I'm 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 appreciating this. Right, yes, mine number 4. So I'm I'm going to skip past the cherry picking uh because I think we we've talked about that quite well and and um the example that I had was not necessarily to do with the graphing of the information it was actually how the question was phrased and it was um earlier in the in the year in our election cycle here uh the liberal democrats um put out a a question um which I, I will link to, but it, it was essentially, um, it was something along the lines of, if, if your only options uh, if Labour didn't exist um, who would you vote for? Uh, between the Tories and the Lib Dems. And um, most people voted for either the Tories or the Lib Dems because there weren't really any other options. Oh, they, damn.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah. Ah, that's <laughs> bad. They, you know, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And they they, they said, you know, they, they put the, the thing in tiny print at the bottom of the graph. Yeah, you know, this is this question. We asked about seven different people. I mean, actually, we haven't talked about, which is not specifically to do with graphing, but it's, uh, it's done a lot in surveys. And you see this on um, TV programmes, or TV uh, commercials where products are advertised, and they say eight out of ten people said this was really good, and then right at the bottom of the screen, you see this is done in a survey with about with you know five people. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. You know what? I mean that that's a, that's a that's an extremely important point that you are making. So certainly, um, this example that you are providing, it, it's not the chart itself that is sort of like misleading people. But, no. you know, the survey itself, I would argue, that is critical to understanding the chart. You need to look into yes. where the data comes from, how was the data collected, is the data actually measuring what the chart claims that is being measured, how was the question posed? That's extremely important to understanding surveys, right? How, how do, do the questions bias people's answers to those questions somehow, right? Now, it is different. for In the United States, there's the classical example that depending on how you ask people about abortion, what do you think about abortion? Depending on how you uh, phrase the question, you may bias their answers, just to put an extreme example. So, you know, are you in favor of um, killing babies? Well, that's a, a little bit too much. But are you in favor of abortion, right? So if you ask, are you in favor of abortion, you will get a, a much lower support for abortion rights than if you ask the question, do you believe in the right of a woman to control her own body, right? See, if you pose the question that way, you will get much higher results for, uh, much higher support for, for abortion. Is because abortion is part of that control of your own body somehow, right? So which one of these questions is the, is the correct one? Well, you know, there's a, a huge debate about it. I think that Perhaps both of them should be uh, included in the question, saying, "You know, are you in favor of a woman controlling her body, fully controlling her body, including abortion?" Right. If you include the two things in the question, then the answers may not be as skewed as possible. Again, I'm not an expert on the design of surveys, so I, 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 you know, this may not be completely rigorous. But I think that the point is is clear. That that as readers, we need to be aware that surveys can be contaminated and can be biased depending on how the questions are posed, and depending who the population is. So uh, the, sort of like the sample uh, and the population that, that is being surveyed. So how many times have we seen, for instance, surveys, the results of surveys? And when you, when you, when you read the, the, the footprint, it's not only that only five or 10 people were surveyed. It's also that the survey was an online survey uh, that was not randomly selected, right? One, one case that I described in the latest book is like, it, it, and it's a fictional example, but it's closer close to what I've seen repeatedly, at least in the United States, is like the results of a particular survey will be completely different, depending on, depending on the, whether that survey has been conducted by a right-wing news organization or a left-wing organization. If you just let people answer to a question in your website, that that sample is not is not a it doesn't represent the population at large, just because a right wing organization will have right wing readers and a left wing organization will have left left wing readers and those are not representative of the entire population right? my my uh, fifth example is actually it actually connects really well with this discussion because um, again, you know how important it is for a reader to um, pay attention to the source. Of the data that is being represented in a in a graphic, right? So I have this example in the book, made a, a graphic, made a series of graphics made by a student of mine, who wanted wanted to analyze uh, patterns in homelessness in Florida, right? Particularly homelessness among students in elementary and middle and high school uh, in Florida. So this student of mine collected all the data. And he came to me with the data represented in graphs and in maps, etc. And one particular map was very striking to me because I saw that in certain counties in Florida, more than twenty percent of students, one out of five, are homeless. I said, "How is this even possible? It's such an enormous number." And this student mine say, "Well yeah, but you need to read the fine print because you need to read." You know, how the state, the, the, the state of Florida defines homelessness. A homeless person, according to the definition behind these numbers, is not someone who lives on the streets. It's someone who, is someone who doesn't have a permanent home. So if a student has to change mm. homes two or three times a year because perhaps her parents are divorced or and he, and, and she needs to live with an uncle and then with her grandmother and then with her mother and then with her father right she switches homes two or three times a year uh, the fact that that student doesn't have a permanent home all year round already puts that student in the list of homeless people right so a homeless person is not you, it's not someone who lives on yeah, the then, street
1: um uh, you, yeah and you you add to that um people in lo- uh, short term foster care
0: correct um, correct which That's, is also a fairly large number yeah yeah it's a fairly large number so That doesn't mean that the numbers behind that graphic are incorrect. They are not incorrect. They are correct. It's only that in order to understand them well, a reader needs to read the definition behind those numbers. What is it that is being measured? And what is it that is being represented by the chart that I'm seeing?
1: It's it's as if really we have to do a lot of work when we're uh, when we're presented with information. We can't just uh, absorb it and then uh,
0: assume it's true. <laughs> yeah, well, and not only that. I mean, even if we even if we trust the source of the uh, of the of the graphics that we are seeing, and you know, I believe that there are certain sources, news organizations that are quite trustworthy because I know that they want to tell the truth. But even so, uh, readers need to be attentive. I mean, readers mm-hmm. need to be aware that and this is another mantra that I like to repeat, that a chart, meaning a graph or a map representing data an infographic, those things are not just images. They are not just visuals. They are arguments, arguments made Mm. visual. And the same way that you cannot assume that you can understand a piece of text without reading that text, you cannot assume that you can understand a chart just by looking at it. You really need to read it. And read it carefully in order to extract the right meaning from it. So attention is critical.
1: Yeah, I almost feel like if you presented um, data in a conversation, people would be, if if it doesn't fit with their view, people would be sceptical of it. Yeah. Um, Mm But I don't know if people would be as skeptical if they saw it in a graph, because I think there is an assumption that this is scientific. Therefore, it's rigorous, and it may all, it may be scientific and it may be rigorous, but it's also been engineered. Yeah, and we don't think about
0: that. Yeah, we have some some tentative evidence showing that effect that charts have this sort of magical power. Quotation marks in there, magical power to be more persuasive than mere words, and that's because you know some of us tend to assume that numbers in and charts etc they are you know accurate and they embody science and they carry some true value and uh, more than words even and that 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 is dangerous that is dangerous because charts can be easily manipulated numbers can be easily manipulated but not only that more importantly and perhaps more dangerously even if a chart is correctly designed based on numbers that are correctly collected and generated if we don't pay attention to it we will we will misread it and that's the danger right because again we are all you know we can all fall victim to cognitive biases such as the confirmation bias and if we are not attentive to how we are reading a chart it is very very easy to basically just again use the chart to confirm what we already believe rather than using the chart to reason about reality and challenge our own opinions and our own beliefs.
1: Yes, indeed. Um, my so my final one then is um, is a reversal of the of the y-axis. Um, so an example of this is uh, the the most famous example possibly uh, is a chart of um, of gun deaths in Florida. Oh yeah, uh, mm-hmm. which was put out by uh, the Department of uh, Law Enforcement and. Um, they they wanted to prove that gun deaths had gone up when they instituted a uh, when they en- a enacted a specific law called the Stand Your Ground Law. Um and yeah, when you look at the graph, um you see this uh this this uptick uh, and then a and then a big downtick. Um but what you're not and, and the way they colored it, um the graph is white and the background is red uh and so you see that as a background color and but actually what it's doing is it's the what we think of the background that's actually the data because they've reversed the y axis so instead of going from you know 0 at the bottom to 800 at the top it's it's the other way around and so what is what is uh, looks like a sharp rise is in fact a sharp fall
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that example. I'm familiar with that one. Um, yeah, it's 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 a, it's misleading. It's misleading because the design choices behind it were not very were not very wise, in my opinion. And and the graphic ends up being quite difficult to read because it breaks you know certain very important conventions in chart making, such as if something goes up, show it going up, right? Because otherwise mm-hmm. people will need to reverse uh, the data in their minds. And the use of color is also quite uh, quite tricky. I, I would like to make a point, though. Um, whenever we see charts like that one, in particular, uh, charts that look, you know, badly designed, etc., it is very easy to um, uh, say, you know, uh, tell about, say about the designer. Well, this designer is trying to trying to lie to us. He's trying to manipulate us and whatever. More often than not, um, we need to give people the benefit of the doubt because many of the graphics that are either badly designed or easily misinterpreted, sometimes they are not the product of a designer who's trying to lie on purpose. Sometimes they're just the product of a designer being sloppy or careless or you know, designing too quickly and not thinking carefully about the, about the data. And, and I know this because you know, I come from the world of journalism. And in the world of journalism, we have very tight deadlines and very little time to produce the content that we need to produce. And sometimes we make mistakes. So you know, um, as the saying goes, you know, don't attribute to malice what can be better explained, you know, by appealing to sloppiness or rashness or whatever. Because usually yes. the fact is uh, is that uh, these graphics are not, again, designed badly designed on purpose. They are just, but, but they are misleading anyway. So I'm not I'm not taking blame away from designers. Designers need, designers of visualizations of charts need to be more careful also to represent the data well and correctly. But at the same time, we are all human beings. We all make mistakes. So yes, uh, this is
1: Alberto Cairo. Uh, and this is me in the future. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, what what, uh, what a great topic. Um, as I said, learn, learn loads. Uh, we've got a good list that I think uh, we end up building. Um, so if you like the show, uh, then listenvypod.com is where you will find this uh, and lots of other episodes of the show. Um as well as our newsletter. And uh, if you would like to subscribe to that, I would recommend it. Uh, I might actually start putting out um, issues of the newsletter again, because I've sort of slacked on that over the last uh, the last week uh, or two. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's a, this is a solo operation. It takes a lot of time. Um So, but yes, uh, it's worth it because there's all sorts of um, of fun stuff that you get in the newsletter that you don't get in the podcast. Um, So uh, listnv.com slash newsletter uh, and go and sign up for that. lots more fun episodes in the can. Um next week is is a fun and funny one. Um so uh stay subscribed. Um if you want all the links and stuff, listenvpod.com has them. Uh so without uh, without much more ado, let us return to uh, my conversation with Alberto and our final top 5 list of misinterpreted graphics. We have two lists um and it is now our job to combine them. Um and I think I think we've got some common area between between what we've got. Um I think the um the Coropleth uh, uh map I think is is a really good um sort of first pick because it's yeah, it's it's a it's an easily um visible example and it and it can have um have a a great a great impact. Um um, so we've got a few things that are are about manipulating yeah. axes, distortions. And, I would call them um, distortions.
0: Mm-hmm. distortion, yes. distortion, visual distortions of the data. And we have several examples of that. That's a broad category. Uh,
1: and all three uh, have, have been, uh, you know, distorted because I've sort of got your example of the 3D chart as as manipulate or distorting the the z axis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. If, we, if we, you know, if we take that, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, showing correlation uh, without causation, I think is a is a great number two.
0: Yeah, that could be. Oh, a sorry, great, number three. Uh, an, it um, could be a good number three, and I would, I would actually categorize it as, um, I would call it projection. Again, how easy it is to project sure. our own beliefs. Actually, the first example, the choropleth map of the presidential elections in the United States, is also an example of that. It's like Trump, mm. Trump li- likes that map because the map makes him feel good, right, about the election. Mm-hmm. Take a look at how much support, how much support I have. That's an example of projection on projecting your own uh, about projecting yeah. your own beliefs onto the onto the chart, right, but yeah, the scatterplot plot is a great third example, I think
1: I think we've got to put cherry picking in there um because I think it is yeah um it it is slightly different from the distortion because you know we we are talking about cropping information
0: out and just yeah um, yeah, yeah, that would be number four and number five could be the information behind the graphic, right it's like the quality, yeah, yeah. the source the definition of terms and variables in the chart right the sourcing mm-hmm. sourcing of the of the chart i think that it could be a good number 5 i think
1: absolutely so with that in mind then what we have is from 5 to 1 uh the quality and sourcing of the data cherry picking showing a uh, uh, projection uh distorting axes and then uh the uh the the, the um the chloropleth or choropleth map, map um uh, yeah. you know yeah, that's that's a hard one. Um, but I think that is that is a good list. Um, so I will I will ask you formally, Alberta Cairo, uh,
0: do you consent to this list? Oh yeah, I do consent to that list. <laughs> it's a very good. It's a very good, a good list. Lord. I may. It's a very know, good list. Yeah, I think that you cannot really put these things in sort of like in order of importance. All of them are important. Um, Absolutely. But, but yeah, it's a great list. It's a great list.
1: So, why don't you um, tell us all about uh, how charts lie?
0: <laughs> tell it all about it. <laughs> I mean, I can't. I
1: ca- well, you know, don- don't, obviously, don't read it all to us. We need people to, to buy the book.
0: Yeah, well, it's a it's a, it's a, it's a book that I wrote because um, throughout the years I, I have been designing charts all of my life, so all of my professional life for for more than twenty years, right? I've been a a journalist, a designer. I've worked with data scientists and statisticians and journalists, etc. And throughout the years, I have designed many maps and many graphs and infographics, visual explanations and things like that for media publications. And now I teach how to design them. But um, around four or five years ago, I started getting interested in whether, whether the public reads all these products correctly. And I started observing um, more systematically, how you know common people, including myself, either uh, read or misread maps and charts and graphs, etc. I started collecting examples of all these, and then the 2016 U.S. elections came, and I started seeing again Trump misusing these maps to argue that he won on a landslide using these choropleth maps, saying, "Take a look at the amount of red and whatever." I said, "You know," and then I also got interested living in Miami, Florida. Um, or I got interested into how people misread hurricane forecast maps, which are regularly published by the Weather Service and the National Hurricane Center. They put out a lot of visual products, a lot of maps, a lot of charts, and we have a lot of evidence showing that the common public does, do, doesn't read those graphics very well. So combining mm-hmm. all these ideas, all these examples, you know, all these historical developments, you know, the, the winning. Uh, Trump's winning the presidential election in 2016 and then misusing that particular map and and many other graphics. I mean, he misuses graphics all the time. I said, you know, perhaps it is the time to write a book about how to become a better reader of charts. And that's what the the book is about. The book is titled How Charts Lie because it's punchy and eye-catching and it connects to... Other classics in the field, such as "How to Lie with the Statistics," right? So I, I choose the, the 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 title on purpose to to be attractive. How charts lie, but the book is actually how to become a better reader of charts. I think. I mean, what what things, what factors, what elements in a chart you need to pay attention to in order to decode to that chart to extract the right meaning from that chart, and I give several. Recommendations of things that to uh, to pay attention to. Some of them summarizing the list that we have come up with uh, just mm-hmm. a minute ago. Just yes, paying attention to the source, taking a look at the scales, at the colors, reading it carefully, uh, avoid projecting. All right, avoid projecting your opinions onto the chart and so on and so forth. So I give a lot of little recommendations Non-tech, for non-technical people. Obviously, it's a book for the general public on how to become more aware. And more critical readers of the visuals that we see every day.
1: That's it. I think the more the more critical thinking. I think it, it's becoming more and more apparent as we look at uh, whether you want to categorize it as fake news or whatever um, sites that that spring up and and you know post sort of bot written articles uh, around election time. Uh, you know we, we we've seen that before. Whether we know how much of an effect that that really had. We've had the same question with Brexit as well. Um, it's possibly yet to be to be seen, but we all need to be more... We we all need to be better at critical thinking, I think.
0: We are, yeah. And, and not only... <clears throat> I would say not only that, and this is a point that I make also in the book. It says, it's like, I'm a great believer in, in being a little bit more critical, a little bit more sceptical. The challenge, though, is that besides teaching how to be a more critical thinker, we also need to need to teach people or show people how to be a more ethical thinker. Because when you become just a critical thinker, it becomes extremely easy to identify mistakes that are made by other people. It is very, very easy to, you know, to identify you know, biases, cognitive biases and errors, etc., in other people. And what I argue in the book is that that, that should come after becoming more critical thinkers about ourselves about our own opinions, about our own assumptions. You know, becoming more mindful about how opinions appear in our brain is extremely important. Paying, paying more attention to what happens inside of our heads before we pay attention to what happens in everybody else's heads. Right? And actually what is, what is usually taught in critical thinking courses and books is the, is the latter. It's how to become more critical about information that is out there. And we need to become more aware of what happens inside our heads. That comes first, because that's what what would really make you a a true, I believe, a critical thinker. You cannot have one without the other.
1: Uh, Yes, absolutely. Um, Where can people follow your work?
0: Well, I, I, yeah, in many places, so I'm I'm quite active in, in social media, particularly on Twitter. And my Twitter account is my name plus the last name, so it's Alberto with an O, Alberto. And then Cairo, like the city in Egypt, Alberto Cairo. I'm from Spain, but for some reason I have this last name, uh, Alberto Cairo, so it's at Alberto Cairo. I'm also on Facebook, I'm on LinkedIn, but I'm much more active on, on Twitter. Twitter is what I use to basically spread the word about you know good graphics or bad graphics sometimes, resources for learning, about statistics, about numbers, journalism, and many other topics. I also have a personal website, AlbertoCaro.com, which is my professional website. Um, people can find me at the University of Miami, where I teach. I'm a full-time professor at the University of Miami in Florida. So my profile is available there. And then my weblog, I have a weblog that I haven't, unfortunately, I have not updated in the past few weeks. Um, it's uh, The name of the weblog is The Functional Art, uh, which is the title of my first book, The Functional Art. So it's thefunctionalart.com. And that's where I post you know, a longer opinions, right? things that I cannot really post on social media because they require a little bit more space, more words. I usually post them on my weblog. Web Lovely.
1: So, uh, links are in the show notes, and uh, all it remains for me to do um, is to say, uh, Alberto Cairo, thank you very much for for joining me on uh, on List envy Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure.